So we have Clint on the show. Hey, Clint. Hey, Clint. Hi. Clint is a well. I guess we'll call him friend of the show now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Clint, why don't why don't you introduce yourself? It's probably easier Hi. than somebody else doing it. Hi, uh, I'm Clint Ruckus. I am uh, the lead for Power Toys on Windows. Uh, it's a suite of applications to make developer and power users' lives just easier. It's tweaking every little bit of Windows possible. Um, we're still very early in preview. We have, um, I think right now, seven utilities, and we're going to ship out two more in the near future. Awesome. So I, I have a question for that. And actually, I think probably I'm curious, why why is this not part of Windows, right? Because I think the work that you're doing in PowerToys is awesome. There's a lot of cool util utilities about you know snapping things to the screen. There's this kind of the new launcher that is going to be kind of helping customers yeah. launch apps faster. Why is it not part of core windows, right? Like that's awesome. Yeah. Why did you put it in the US? So if you take a step back and remember power toys from Windows 95, um, and I understand 95, that was like when you were like, yay big. Um, I remember it. <laughs> uh, and XP, those were all little utilities that, that developers at Microsoft made to make their lives easier. And then it, I guarantee you, this is how the conversation went. It's like, hey, this is pretty cool. And then another engineer is probably like, hey, this is pretty cool. Can we make these public? And then somehow they figured out how to make it public and they bundled it all together. And it was kind of like works on my computer mentality. And then all those things actually made it back into the operating system. So one of the th one of my first tasks when we were looking at uh, Power Toys was, Tweak UI. Tweak UI to me, it was like one of the canonical examples. And we were looking at it as what, what was there that we should bring back? And we talked to Raymond Chen, and we're, who was the person that created it. And we're like, Raymond, what's left? Like what hasn't been brought in with the Also, what can we not do here? So um, he basically said, hey, this is all these things are in the operating system now. So that meant they went from cool idea to in the OS. And that's a good way we're kind of looking at power toys. We can do rapid incubation. We can do rapid testing and we flight weekly. I'm sorry, not weekly. We flight monthly. So we can literally push a thing out there, get feedback, look at the test data and then pivot and then continually do adjustments until it's fantastic. Um, and then we're working in parallel with the um, shell team in Windows to be sure like, does this make sense? Hey, is this uh, something that would make se uh, sense in the operating system? So, I mean, you also take a step back and think about the Windows ecosystem. For On Windows 10, there's a billion people running Windows. Some of these utilities do not make sense for a billion people. The 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 those the, the groups of people range from uh, very novice to super complex, and, and they want every little uh, bit of performance out of their system. And you have to Windows has to design a, an operating system for such a large group. So putting it in the operating system means it's there. And it has to be work for everyone, not just the performance users. 
So that's that's another good thing to think about with power choices. We're the power users. We there are things that don't make sense for those users, but make sense for our subset. So can you give us like and you touched on the history there, and I'm really interested to hear like the origination of like what were the first power toys, right? Like you said, Windows 95 is kind of where this began. Um, and you said that, you know, there's canonical projects, basically things that like where it all started, um, who kind of led the charge there? Because again, I'm not super familiar with power toys, right? I'm not a developer yeah. designer. So can you give us some idea of that world, like where it spawned from and then kind of how Microsoft yeah. decided to make this an important priority? Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, like I literally am going to cheat and pull up the Wikipedia article that has the full list and um, the exact person, I don't honestly know who the exact person is. Um, I do know when we were looking through this, uh, Raymond Chen was one of those people, but it's the best way I can describe it is uh, uh, it was just little things that help make people's lives easier as a developer. So one of them was command prompt here. Um, long ago, it was make autoplay work on a, a non-audio CD. Like think about it, you put in your CD, and this is Windows 95 timeframe, where not everyone probably even had a CD-ROM drive, and the app would start. So you have all these things that kind of make very targeted sense for certain scenarios. Um, uh, I'm looking through this. One of them is quick resolution change. Um, it was called quick res, which is something actually right now we're looking at power toys for, um, which I guarantee you back then versus now, that was probably way easier to pull off than what we have to do now where people are thinking about DPI, HDR, multi-monitor, um crazy resolutions all these things now we have to figure out and like how do you make that super easy super quick super powerful um uh, one of the power toys that actually made it full circle is image resizer is there was a a, a utility from xp that was resizing images hmm. and in windows you can currently by default rotate it left rotate it right from the shell but you couldn't resize and this is one of those, like, it makes sense. Like, every developer has had to do this. Um, now we take that for granted, right? It's usually baked yeah. into like, whatever image um, tool we're using. But at yeah. the time, <laughs> it's probably groundbreaking to be able to do it on the fly. Yeah, and, and, and now we're, we, uh, the, our current power toys has this built in. It's, we put it in shell, so it's a part of your context menu. You right-click, and it can do everything. Um, I run, I per 95% sure it's exact UX from where it was back in the day as well. Um, and then one of the things we're doing is we're going to modernize all the UXs across all the utilities, uh, to match. So very similar to back in the day where every utility was done by basically someone else that probably was, like I said, someone going, Hey, you know what? I need this utility. I'm going to write it. And they batch it together and like you look at them like this looks hodgepodgey and, and once again the reason why they were hodgepodgey is because everyone built it without think, talking to the other person so for power toys right now is we're like that's cool that's cool that's cool and we brought it all in and we brought it in talking to everyone and having great conversations and now we're going okay 
how do we unify this? How do we make it look part of the shell, still keep a little bit of ourselves into it, but, you know, modernizing it and you making everything uniform. So that's, uh, it probably won't be totally done before we, we release 1.0, but we're, we're in the process. Uh, one of the big backbone technologies we need is called uh, WinUI 3. WinUI 3 will allow us to use uh, basically decoupled from the OS, modern controls, modern UX, and that lets us go down level all the way down to at least our main version, which is RS4. So how does one like get a power toy into the ecosystem, right? So there's probably the ones that have been carried along, right, from the early days, and they continue to be refined, but then as all the those all those power toys are no longer like power toys from XP to now was it was a gap. Like there was no power toys from there. We um at Windows 10, like the current modern day power toys was us having uh, my general manager, Mike Harsh, probably did some wonderful magic, talked to a bunch of people. We made a pitch at Build uh, 2019. to, And we had um, this is one of the things that I, I was an advocate for was called uh, Tech Sneak Peeks. Uh, Adobe does this, and it's all about uh, showing things that may never get to market. And getting feedback, getting early uh, uh, feedback on it and seeing if people like it. So we we went to build and we said, if we brought back power toys, what would you want us to build? And we had um, a couple proof of concepts that we showed off. And we had three sessions and each one, and note, this is everyone's at ground level. We have basically a giant 85-inch Surface Hub behind us. We're talking, and we're, mic we're mic'd up, but still, it was seriously, I think it was close to 400 people per each session. So we're like go trying to, like, uh, Mike was typing furiously, and we're, show we we're projecting the OneNote. And I'm trying to run around to every person with the microphone. And then as they're talking, we're trying to repeat back to the person what they said in a way that we can decipher. So that was another caveat was you could ask for something, but we need to be able to then be sure what you said is actually what you what we interpreted it to be. Yeah. So we always had to ask a couple of yeah. in a way that you both understand, like you're talking yeah. about the same thing. Yeah. Cause we have like, as a Microsoft employee, we all have our internal lingo and, 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 uh, uh, verbiage. So we wanted to be sure if they said this, it wasn't what we thought it like. It was what we thought it was not something else. Um, well, so, and it's yeah. interesting that the side to that is, and I'm sure as a, product manager, you know, it's like when customers ask for something, like they are not necessarily the experts in the solution, but they are the experts in the problem. Yeah. They know what well, the, the pain is. Well, that's a big thing right now in the um, our GitHub repository is people are asking for all this. And um, some of the best requests are when they tell us the scenario and we're not jumping to technology. Uh, and the reason why we don't ever want to really jump to technology is um, 
it it forces you down a pigeonhole. And what we don't want is, well, I want this. Well, why do you want this? What's the actual use here? Like, talk, let's talk through the problem. And then from there, we might be able to make it really, you know, powerful and, and uh, transformative versus a very targeted thing at this one once problem. Uh, so like a great example would be, I want to right click command prompt here. Well, okay. Well, do you, do you want that to be like from the shell? Do you want it to be a right click? Do you want uh, a hot key? Like what, there's so many different ways to approach it. But if you tell me kind of what the, the you need from it, then we can start at thinking about how do we implement this? Um, and then we can also start thinking about here are the other 10 things that we're working on. How high priority is this? Is this something that's going to have to interact with one another? And I bring up the term, the, the terminal thing is because with, uh, uh, our launcher project, it will be able to launch from whatever object to command line. So right. if you think about that, okay. We now have to think about, is it PowerShell? Is it uh, uh, command, uh, command prompt? Is it terminal? Then if it's terminal, which one? Do you want to launch Bash? Do you, or I'm sorry, Ubuntu? Do you want to launch uh, uh, PowerShell? Do you want to watch, launch Conhost? Do you want to launch blah, 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 blah. So, so now, yeah. yeah. So now it went from, as soon as you threw terminal into the mix, we had to go time out. How do we do this for just the launcher project? Then we're like, well, there's also this other project where people are asking for it to be right click and shell. So why is this setting now tied directly to launcher? This setting needs to be ripped out or if it's not ripped out now in the short term, it probably will have to be moved out. So we're thinking about the holistic viewpoint from start to finish, not just this one little uh, uh, nugget. Which, which sounds like a common, you know, thing that Din and I bumped into on the projects we're working on. It's like, if you ask the user what they want, they'll tell you a very specific execution. Right. We don't, they're not um, getting a purview of like all yeah. the features that are in the pipeline and how that's going to impact what maybe the, the strategy is, right? For yeah. the ecosystem of things that you're working on. Right. Yeah, because and, somebody will ask you, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I just own the shell. But for them, shell is terminal or uh, PowerShell. And that's it. That, that's their worldview. Yeah, and they don't care they about use, anything else. They use one thing, but we have to take a step back and go, how do we, you know, do everything? And I think, think you know, thankfully, the uh, terminal team is literally, if we were allowed back in the office, um, Kayla sits the next office over and I share the office with Rich Turner, who used to run terminal. Um, and WSL is literally the other, uh, 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 the other side. So it's like the people that would be subject matter experts in this entire space literally are either in my office or, uh, next door. So it makes, uh, it makes communication and trying to figure out a lot of these nuances, things, uh, really easy because it's not a space that like just even terminal, there's so many little gotchas, like the amount of times Rich Turner has 
just like gone, come on, Clint, we've gone through this. And it, it was the difference between a shell and a terminal. And I probably even screwed that up. <laughs> um, it's And we had to go in the launcher spec. We had to figure out like, how do you break these two up? The experience along with the actual what's running. And then you have to explain it to, if you are not dealing with this every day, how do you, what's the critical word you would use? And it was like, the is it the execution engine? Is it the experience? Is it the UX? So to, to make it crisp and clear between what these two options are. Because to me, it was interesting even being in the room when we were discussing this, like the amount of like, time out, Clint, no, that's not right. What about this word? No, that's not right because this word implies this. So just like naming and explaining things is super interesting and uh, hard. So I'm actually curious about something um, in terms of like feedback. You, you call out like power users, you call out GitHub. Yeah. How do you handle community feedback? How do you prioritize it? Because I'm guessing the, the tool, and I've seen tweets about it, it's becoming very popular. A lot of people are very passionate about it. Oh yeah. Um, you know, there's gonna be a lot of opinions. What's your approach to actually triaging that and making sure that you're looking at the right things? Yeah, so right now we get, I think when we get a major release out, so monthly, we see a big spike for uh, uh, feedback. And I would say we see about 150 to, uh, plus issues um, a week. So a lot of it is shoving a lot of information on what the big known issue, like things in, uh, like uh, requests are and seeing, does this match one of those things? And if it matches one of those things, close it, mark it as dupe, you know, and then say, is it a bug or not? And then link it back to the other issue. First, link it back to the other issue, then you do the rest of the stuff. But um, it, it, then it is, okay, right now we know what our golden path is for V1. We know where we need to be. We, we have it on our wiki the V1 public strategy, and I'm pretty sure I put it on the README as well. If not, I should probably do that. Um, but we shared that out with the public. We asked for feedback on the public uh, uh, for that, along with here ideas for V2. So we shared where we are and where we want to be in the short term. And from once we get to um, probably two months before V1 will ship, we'll probably take a second look at all the data, look at our telemetry, show where we are, look at everything in our GitHub and see where what we should add in for V2. Um, one thing we did, uh, we'll kick up actually starting Monday is we're challenging the garage interns for two weeks to come up with proof of concepts for some of the new ideas as well. So. Uh, I think that's going to be super fun and super interesting to see what they can pull out in two weeks. Are those the Vancouver garage interns? They so are the Vancouver garage uh, interns. Knew it. So it's all uh, it's our good friend Stefan who runs Stephane, the program. Stefan, yeah. Uh, and they've been doing. You've been working with those interns for since last year, right? Because you worked in Web Template Studio. Yeah, they did Web Template Studio V1 and V2. Um, so that was super super fun. Um, yeah, and then uh, yeah, I just can't wait to to interact with the 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 new group and then show them the ropes and be like, here's one of the most popular repositories at Microsoft. Yeah. You now have write access. 
you you know that's a good amount of responsibility yeah (laughs) so tell us since you know intern season season is coming up how's it like you know what's it like for somebody like a fd or a full-time employee working with interns uh from your experience um i think this is going to be a very big learning experience for everyone um because they're going to be remote so i think the big thing is keeping them unblocked and that's where uh having a rolodex that you can you know i may not know the answer but i might know someone that might know the answer or they know someone that will know the answer so be like if it was in the docs realm i'd probably reach out to one of you um or heck even if it was in an unrelated tech i'd be like who is the writer that's responsible for this tech and then that writer would would uh figure it out or be able to help me out and it's like the typically my hope is the person that i reach out to then can vouch like no if clint's reaching out he really does need help here and then that you know you have the street cred with that person to help unblock me um so just trying to keep them unblocked as quick as possible and then showing them like they can make a difference. And I think that's one of the cool things with power toys is we ship monthly. We can literally show like, Hey, this feature, boom, look, that bump is because of this. Um, like we have a thing called window Walker now in power toys, which will be merged into launcher, but it's a, a quick alt tab, a replacement where it does uh, text-based searching. So if you wanted to search for edge, you you know you could just type ed in this and would find it versus the graphical. Like that's super powerful. And we like when it was demoed to me, uh, and the dev that created it is named Beta. Uh, he's fantastic. He actually works on Windows as well. Uh, he he did a quick demo and Jen gentleman's like, Hey, you got to see this. And I should, I saw it and I was like, that is pretty baller. And he's like, do you want to put it in power toys? I'm like, absolutely. And <laughs> we put it out there, like not really knowing are people going to get excited about this? And it was a good example of a test. We're like, are people going to like this? Maybe not. It's like, it's an, if you think about it, it's a niche thing still. It's a very niche thing for going back to who would care about this. The the probably the power end, the, the higher end people would. Not everyone would as well. So we were like, are people gonna like it? And it was super popular and we were super excited for it and helped justify a lot of the things that we're gonna do in launcher as well. And I think that kind of resonates to the, and Courtney and I, we talked about this for some time where there's kind of these two philosophies on shipping product. There's one where folks do a lot of research ahead of time. We'll do a lot of customer research. We'll do a lot of kind of mocking up and testing prototypes versus teams that can experiment and ship, right? The, the, to me, the best way to learn is like the, the latter when I can just, I, I have a good enough sense that I'm going in the right direction. I'll ship this and I'll see what people think. Like Fancy Zones is a great example of that. So for those who don't know what Fancy Zones is, I feel like this right now is a giant product placement also for Power Toys. Sure, this whole podcast uh, is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Fancy Zones is a window manager that's like Aerosnap, but you can build out your own snapping area. So 
initially it was developed for large screen monitors. So it's funny, like we have this continual feedback of, well, it's broken in multi-monitor and we're like, well, this is how you do multi-monitor, it's in our docs. And we know that it's a giant Achilles heel for us right now. And we are going to improve the editor to do this, but it was de designed initially to solve the problem of if you have this big monitor that we're seeing more and more developers have, AeroSnap at the time, you had your left pane and your right pane. But if you have like a 40 inch monitor in front of you, you're like, I, I need this subdivided. So they created a pr little proof of concept and were like, yeah, this is really cool. And then it became one of the first power toys. How do you mitigate the, well, um, let me take a step back. Do you ever get customer feedback where it's like, this is total garbage, pull it out, just don't, don't build this? Um, I think when people are discussing new ideas and new enhancements, you occasionally see some of that. Um, I haven't really seen it go that poorly. However, in my opinion, like I have a zero tolerance policy for that. So I'm going to shut that down right away. And I think that um, having a civil conversation is key because there's so many different nuances to what makes someone per, per, uh, uh, you know, optimal, the optimal work uh, experience. So what works for you may not work for me and vice versa. Like think about it like video games. There are giant genres of video games I do not like. People love it. Final Fantasy is not my cup of tea. Other people love Final Fantasy good for them they can play it and i wish uh square enix the best of luck with that <laughs> series um but it's not for me and i'm okay with that and i think just being polite and being nice helps get everyone uh uh on the same page like i i keep on saying like how can i help what do you need like let's walk through this um here's my personal email if you don't feel uh if i like if you don't feel comfortable talking about this here, like we'll take it offline. I'll repost it. I'll you know uh, anonymize the uh, the 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 request so it fits for the larger group. Yeah, that was kind of. I was also going to ask about like research, right? Like getting people for the super niche products, um, getting like a good demographic representation of like different types of developers. Um, how does your team handle that? Um, what does it look like on your side? So the probably the first two that we did hardcore research on were um, uh, keyboard remapper and launcher, because going back to their very nuanced, like some like launcher to me is one of the most exciting things and scary things from my stance because you're gonna have an opinion on it. Uh, and then keyboard manager as well. It's keyboard manager is one of those things where you need it or you don't. And the reason why I say that is it remaps your keys and shortcuts. And if you're like, I always use the, the, the concept of muscle memory for this. If you come from a Mac to a PC, there's a fundamental difference. And, and that fundamental difference is these two keys, window key and yeah. alt. And um, I'll even go, it's control as well. So PCs are very pinky centric. 
Macs are very index centric because of the, the command key. So if you want to just do something as basic as copy text, it's, you know, you're, you're using for at least me is I would use uh, my thumb and C to, to, to do command C in windows. I'm using my pinky. So it's a total different, like just muscle memory. And that will. And, and for really me, like the guy who goes between the two, like I actually just use my left hand, right? Like, so I'll just move that pinky or I'll just yeah. use my other, you know, my other finger on that. Left but, hand. Uh, with our keyboard remapper, I can literally then switch the control and the alt. Boom. Problem solved. Or the other, like there's a bunch of, um, when I, uh, I had the chance to use a Mac for a couple months, uh, using Chrome, for me, uh, when I use Edge, Chrome, or whatever browser on a PC, Alt-D is a keystroke that I have been using for close to 20 years to go to the address bar in Windows. Command-D on a Mac sets a bookmark. And totally then, different. <laughs> oh, totally different. And then if you hit escape, uh, it would dismiss the dialogue, but save it. So at the end of a work week, I would have like eight bajillion saved bookmarks. And I'm like, no, none of these matter. I don't need any of them. This was me just trying to hot. So imagine being able to just to remap that key to something your muscle memory is used to. Um, so like one of the key, uh, so we have for keyboard manager, we're going to do key to key OS level, uh, kind of global level keyboard shortcuts. And then we're going to enable app targeted keyboard shortcuts. So if you're using Chrome or outlook, you can remap keys. So the one that I guarantee you, most people are going to remap is control F and outlook. Control yeah, that's, F. That's a, that's a good yep. one. That's if anybody knows what Control F does, it's it's not what it does in Outlook. <laughs> yeah. So most people would assume Control F finds. Control F in Outlook forwards the email. It does so, have a good backstory to it too. Uh, it has a fantastic backstory. I'm pretty sure Raymond Chen explained the backstory for this and where the request for this came from. But for most people, Control F should find right and to me it why not just remap this key we know what it is we know what everything is we can just do it um so that's going to be like i think one of the primary use cases for the keyboard remapping tool is like little things that annoy you or you want to do differently just remap it just that, that's an interesting one because to me i, I want to remap delete to be the archive button I, ar yeah. I, I archive all my mail short of like spam. So to me, my if I can like right now, I think it's like backspace is archive and delete is delete. I wish I could do the opposite because I archive more than I delete. It's funny. I just use my delete folder as my archive folder. Yeah. yeah but then you could accidentally like I, I always I don't know if it's like OCD or not, but I always have to empty my trash like at the end of the week. And I knew if I would do what you're doing, I would accidentally empty them and be like, no, <laughs> I lost like five years worth of email. If it, if that happens, then so be it. And then my backup would probably be, if it was important enough, it's in my send folder. 
Oh God. Yeah. I, I, we, we need to have like a whole different episode for like talking about life hacks for email handling. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that keyboard manager, like I said, is one of those things where we did a lot of research. We went out and said, we created a couple surveys and we talked to a lot of, of uh, internal and external people directly as well, that what would you do? And we talked to people from Linux, we talked to uh, people that were on a Mac and now on Windows going like, what were your pain points? What could you wish we could do differently? So um, for our dot 18 release, which will be this month, this will be the first time we ship it. It will not have default profiles. So a profile, like we're gonna include a profile for a Linux user, that um, Hadian from Ubuntu, uh, Canonical Ubuntu is helping uh, helping us make. And then we're gonna have one from Mac as well. And I think these are gonna be ones that we're gonna start out small and then add in based on feedback. Because I think that is a better way to do it because everyone's gonna want it slightly different. But I think we'll start noticing patterns and practices. and. This is to me one of those interesting things where people can get a little edgy, but I think telemetry here would help. Like, I can't tell who anyone is, but noticing the trends could be super powerful here. Like, noticing that we see 80% of users remapping this key that used it, that were, was based on this target profile like our default profile, we'd be like, hmm, that might be a, a good thing to do. Um, and then like even going back to telemetry, one of the um, interesting things is Fancy Zones had an entire subclass of, of bugs that were all related back to this one kind of nuanced of how uh, uh, virtual zone, I'm sorry, virtual desktops work. So when we did all the analysis, we're like, okay, great. How much work is this? And the answer was not a trivial amount to, to get this fixed. So we're like, okay, well, where, where does this bug fit in stack rank? And the first question goes of all the people that use power toys, how many of them use virtual desktops? So we can go in and say for, you know, on Windows, what is the average uh, uh, virtual desktop usage? You look at that, you're like, mm, is this more important than everything else? However, at when we looked at PowerToys users uh, and, and looked at this, because uh, Fancy Zones has a, uh, when you toggle virtual desktops, we have a telemetry flag that fires. It was close to 50%. True, so, the, the power users, like you said. Yeah. So, and that's where we're, we're hyper aware of our audience and the people that use it. So we look at both in, you know, the Windows telemetry, but also the, the telemetry for our product. And we're like, okay, this justifies the cost of doing it. And so, so we reprioritize it because we could look at the data and went from, let's go solve a couple other issues that help everyone versus potentially something that was very niche. But when you look at the data, data says, don't trust your gut, trust the data. And we trusted the data and that 
uh, in our 017 fix, we fixed the underlying issue, which was took two, two or three months to figure out exactly what wow. the issue was. And we fixed it. So, um, in the, doing that, it, like we had to make trade-offs and because we're a small little SWAT team, but we fixed it because it was an important thing to fix. And I love and that approach to telemetry because you're looking at data because there's again, kind of the two camps. There's people that look at telemetry as kind of a pat on the back, kind of like, great, our numbers are going up. Growth is, is uh, yeah. within the horizon. But then there's other group of people that actually look at telemetry as this helps me identify problems and opportunities. This is not just something that I can look and say, hey, look, this like the mountain is going up. Great. Everything is fine and dandy. I, I, I take the half glass empty. I'm like, what's breaking? What's failing? How do I help prioritize work here? How do we solve critical issues? Um, so, and, and to me also, the nice thing is because we are open source, I don't think we actually mentioned that we are an open source project. Um, everyone can see in clear text exactly what we're grabbing telemetry for. And one of my goals is before we hit V1 is to create a giant list of here's our telemetry, here's why we're getting it and how we use it. So like knowing how many people use virtual desktops for fancy zones is super critical for us because if you switch desktops, you can have different zones. And then that means like a great example is if you have a different zone on the same monitor, different zone layout, how do your windows resize, readjust? Or let's imagine the scenario you go from five zones to three zones. So now you have to yeah, reshuffle a happens, bunch of stuff. What happens, with what happens to those other two? Quickly That's, followed yeah. by, quickly followed by, now you go back. Yeah, so now you have to like figure out a way to either stack do, things. Is it workspaces, well, right? But, like, but then do those windows go back to, like uh, if you had windows on zone four and five, do they go back to that virtual desktop? Yeah, so now or you not. keep track of the states across. It, it's states across the virtual desktops. So all these little, like what seems to be like we're you know, like small becomes a big cascading thing. And this is why Fancy Zones is a very complex thing that literally is like just the amount of knowledge and brain horsepower we put toward this is insane. Um, the well, because you're accounting for the unknown unknowns. Yeah, but no, it's even more interesting is we can either take a very naive approach or very complex approach on the physical window because uh, of the, if I open up my app or a new window opens up, I want it to snap to this zone. This one feature, one what looks to be relatively easy feature cause us to re-architect uh, how we actually determine windows because of the site save dialogue. Oh, which, which is a separate window, essentially. It's a, it's a window. And then, uh, then people were like, oh, you're, the save dialogue is taking up the entire zone. We're like, well, oh yeah, that, that good call. Okay. So we fixed that. And we fix that by detecting, I think, how the window is created and saying, okay, windows of this style, ignore. 
they don't snap. However, because Windows is such a rich, diverse ecosystem, and I use the word rich, diverse, uh, you have apps that literally create their window the same way as a save dialog. So now you run into the problem of how do you tell those windows versus the save dialog window? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what is a modal what is not? You could do the same process, literally the same exact code. And then, then we started down this, this crazy path of how do you do this agnostically, but work across all the different ways you can create a window. Um, so one of the things that we're building out actually is uh, for unit testing is an app to create windows for any known gotcha. So we already have an app that we can point at and then they will tell us exactly everything we need to know about that window. So deep, like once someone reports an issue, we can quickly go through and go, okay, here's, here's how this window is being created. We can try to figure out how to solve it. Not everything we can solve, but for those that we can, then we add in the code and fix it. Um, but then now the goal is to create an app that we can give every permutation that we that is a known permutation and have it functionally unit tested against it so we know that fancy zones will always work in the attended manner if you throw it at it so we're like it's crazy we have to create an app to create windows to test so we don't regress because of one feature <laughs> that focus on detail is great though because i wish we had that tool in mac os because the current uh the structure that is the mac os windowing system is a mess i like when you maximize you know to the full screen and then you have to like collapse it but then the full screen pops a dialogue where are you talking dialogue... the green orb yeah, yeah yeah the green orb. green orb starts up a new virtual desktop right but but then imagine if you pop a dialogue in that virtual desktop because say you're writing a new email or you're saving something yeah. but then you're using the green orb to minimize so now you have two windows it is just and then you have, uh, you have spaces on top of that too, right? Right. So if I, I have different spaces and I maximize a window in one and right. I another one, I swipe. Right. right. Because so you have all sorts of swiping, you know, methods and things like that. that and there's also the beauty of native dialogues and non-native dialogues. So what Clint is describing where you have a safe dialogue, but that's great if you're using the native system dialogue. So many apps will create their own and I'm not going to point any fingers, but like, Adobe, uh, <laughs> you start saving a PDF and there's a whole new dialogue where it's like, this looks nothing like the OS. Why? That adds to so much complexity. So Clint, you said that your team is also like a, I loved it because this is a term that I've used in the past myself is like a SWAT team, like highly specialized, focused on like one mission. Um, so, I, I, so I come, I, I worked on Halo for a couple of years. So I tend either SWAT or fire team, and I apologize if that some people get offended by that, but it's to me internally like that's what the teams were always called, either a fire team yeah. or a SWAT team. And so what, you, what, like what does that entail? Improved, you know, you've probably been in other places, right, where the teams have been much larger. Like, do you feel like you guys are able to be really fast and nimble um, because of your size? And it's an open source project too, right? So I'm sure you're getting people that are also like contributing ideas and, and things in that way. So you can be really close to your customers. Yeah. So um, 
there's two 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 things there. So one is community driven, and we are heavily community driven. I think every release we get multiple release uh, uh, pull requests from people, and these pull requests range from uh, source code, but then our bug fixes, but also like proof that op why op open source is fantastic is spelling mistakes, grammar, like, hey, your docs were out of date. And I'm like, oh man, we haven't checked that out in a while. And I'm like, ah, and um, they go in and they help and fix it. So like, I am a firm believer. I do cave person style speaking and writing occasionally. And uh, I do occasionally the grammar mistakes. And part of that is because the doc system is marked down. So I can't run it through Microsoft Word or and have it be a bit more polished. And stupid little mistakes happen, and then people are like, "Hey, Clint, you, you used the wrong two, or you you forgot to put tense on a verb, or you had." And and some of that was me literally writing the docs and tweaking the sentence and not going back and making the mistake of rereading it. And those things are people calling it out and and. Uh, um, uh, doing a pull request literally for it. Uh, there was one that just came through, I think, last night, and it was our license had uh, it's, it's MIT licensed, but the license itself says uh, MIT license, and then in parentheses we had MIT, and that little parentheses MIT then made GitHub not, I think, on the app or something, not recognize the license. And so this person said, hey, just remove this five characters of text, technically six with the space, and it will register. And I'm like, sweet, approve. This small little thing helped, you know, helped out the larger ecosystem. And that I love. Um, and it's, our it's entire community. Right. Yeah. Like th there's a lot of assumptions when you contribute to open source that I have to dig into the code. I have to yep. like run these tests. You can literally do typo fixes and that has a tremendous effect. Yeah. So they can be small um, and they don't have to be code. So one of the big things that started kind of snowballing was um, our icon design that peeps up. And then this allowed designers and everyone else to kind of go like, oh, we can help out here. And we're like, absolutely. So this then snowballed into a designer um, helping us redo our icon and kind of set the kind of design system for power toys. Uh, and the first real kind of in your face look of this will be the launcher um, of which I can't wait to kind of publicly, you know, show it off and have it kind of like puppets chest a little bit. Um, so, and it's, it's crazy that we're going to, you know, release it this month and then literally we're ripping out half the, half the, the tech inside of it. It feels like every other day. And the interesting so. part here is that you're describing <laughs> where you're building a tool for power users, which a lot of people can interpret as like, oh, it's developer focused, but you still have a designer that you work with to build a cohesive experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not like it's just built by developers that come up with their own design. You have a professional designer to make sure that this looks good. 
I wouldn't. I don't know actually what his, uh, Niels's uh, main job is, but he. I mean, without a doubt, he's definitely the, the developer. But he's um, he does have big design chops, and there are multiple community members that are helping kind of much like developers bounce ideas past one another and do kind of code reviews. They're doing the exact same thing in screenshots and in Figma for us. So it's like this and that. And uh, one of the things I recently did was I created a community.md where I'm calling out high impact community members. So Niels helped, you know, do our icon, helped do a lot of our XAML um, and set the kind of, like I said, the design system for power toys. Uh, recently, Raphael um, Rivera has done, he actually upgraded us from WinCPP RT or WinRT CPP 1.0 to 2.0. Like, there, we're not a small project. And he, uh, he went through and, and updated it for us. And that was like a huge, huge bit of work. So, like, that. It's something we probably wouldn't have done for a good solid year, and he did it for us. And this is a great example of community making the product better. So, how do you how do you manage the contributions? Because I'm sure sometimes you get you know uh, people that are enthusiastic; they want to contribute and they do the work without necessarily say consulting you. How do you how do you handle these kind of issues where somebody put a lot of time and effort in building something, but then you have to say? hold on a second, maybe not, or do this differently. So one of the things um, we're trying to tweak is our community uh, contribution guidelines and the main readme. Um, we recently had a couple people kind of do a couple pull requests where we're like without consulting and some of them were fairly they were like renaming stuff and it, that in itself isn't bad, but what's super scary is because we know we're going to do X, we're going to do Y, we're going to do Z. And we've all communicated uh, uh, internally what we're going to do and communicate with the parties that are, uh, as well as the community members, we are all in sync. If you are not part of those conversations, it's very hard for someone then to go in as we're about ready to do a giant merge. Mm -hmm. So like the WinCPP work, um, we worked with Raphael going, okay, great. You're gonna do that work. We're gonna check in 17. As soon as 17 is done, we're going to immediately put that into stable. As we're now flighting all the .18 stuff, we're gonna do the upgrade, we're gonna push those onto our uh, our build feature branches and then keep those in sync. And then we're going to backport that back onto master. So it's like, if, if you go in and then rename a bunch of stuff against master, you can, it's going to screw up the WinCPP uh, merge. It can mess up the, the flip over here. And it's, it's this complex dance that we're trying to do. And, we don't want to discourage stuff, but we want to be sure that we have the discussion. So like one of the big things that we're trying to make it crisp and clear is first open an issue. If there is not an issue, do not do the work. 
Two, have the discussion with all of us. We love contributions, but we need to be sure that the contributions are done to work in this super fast paced environment. Um, and no matter what it is, if it is a good idea, we will accommodate it. We will figure out a way. Everyone's super smart. The community members are super smart. We just got to have the discussion. That's all yeah. we ask is the discussion. Open that so, issue so that we have clarity into what you're trying to get done. We can talk about it. And then, yeah, get your proof of concept out there, right? Yeah. Like it has legs. Well, it's, it's not even, it, it, it's also just like understanding here are all the things in motion, but then going back to like, we we're talking about making sure that understanding the scenario versus the exact targeted thing is we want to be sure that this could be general generalized and still accommodate you, not just a very, very targeted scenario. Mm -hmm. So. This is fantastic. Well, Clint, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Uh, where can people find more about one, Power Toys, two, yourself? Uh, myself, you can find on Twitter, uh, uh, twitter.com slash Clint Ruckus. So my first name and last name, I'm super clever. And uh, for Power Toys, you can go to aka.ms slash Power Toys, and this will go to our GitHub re uh, repository. Uh, everything we do is open source. Everything we do is in the clear. So um, we're trying to show off the cool, amazing things you can do on Windows and help make our uh, power users' lives more productive. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us, Clint, and uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you. All right. All right. And it's a stop recording.